God speaks of a time near the end of something called the Great Tribulation. What am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hempert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering six verses in Isaiah chapter 4. This is really something. So let's study that in five minutes' time. Right now, Corey is here to tell us what she's doing with Ryan. Corey? Well, Isaiah prophesied the fall of northern Israel. So we're going to be talking about that today. Ryan? All right. Well, in Isaiah chapters 4 and 11, the coming Messiah is referred to as a branch. And so today I want to look into the significance of that important title. A branch? Wow, that's amazing. All right. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice is coming up in 25 minutes time. What do you got, Jan? Jesus, our hope. All right. Take your Bible guide. Let's open up to the Bible, the world's best-selling book, and let's listen to what God is saying to us as we begin to hear it. Isaiah 4, 1 through 6. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering." And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. Isaiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Isaiah is an amazing prophet, I'll tell you. Isaiah 4 and 5, as we study these particular words from this great prophet that has 66 chapters, we need to understand that although the book of Isaiah was written in the past, it is about the future. That is why it is called prophecy. Now, prophecy as the foretelling of what is to come, and Isaiah 4 speaks of a time in our future when the events of the tribulation have begun and Jesus Christ near the end returns to the earth, the book of Isaiah is fascinating. It's a fascinating study of what God has planned for those who do not pay attention to him in the present time. When we begin to look at this book of prophecy or as prophecy, we begin to see the instructions and the direction of God Almighty. The Lord loves those whom he has created so much 
that he gives them many opportunities to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach. Now, we can put our belief and our trust in him, accepting the Lord of our life as Jesus the Christ. This is very important. And let me tell you something. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that. And I will show you how to do that in just five minutes time as we complete this teaching. Very important. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. As we read it, you can write to us or call us if you don't get a Bible guide, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the page, it'll take you to a page where you can download it just exactly how we printed it. Very, very important. Now, this, this is really critical, these times. And in the future, from Isaiah chapter 4, is something that we've really focused on. And I want to pray today. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit. So many times we come to prophecy and we say, well, this person said, that person said, that person. But we're here to listen to your word. What does the word say? What does God's word say to me? So help us to hear that from the power of the Holy Spirit. These are your words, Holy Spirit. So teach us your way and show us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what I ask. And all of us said together, make it so, or amen. Now with that in mind, we come to Isaiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen carefully. Isaiah says, And in that day, seven women shall take a hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Now, what's he describing? God speaks of the time near the end of the tribulation when the Lord returns. We see a shift in the way people think when the Lord returns. Whenever God's presence appears to us, we see a shift in thinking. The general thinking changes because God's here. Now, the idea is that those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, you are Christians. We know that. And we pray today that we live like Christians so people can see. Today is a time when the persecution of Christians has never been more than it is now. Once every two hours, somebody dies simply for believing in Jesus Christ. It is incredible. And I want to tell you something. We need to pay attention because God is speaking to our hearts. God is letting us know that this part of Matthew 24 and the whole business. I don't want to get into that right now. We'll get into that later. But this prophecy is about a time when God's presence comes. And we need to live our lives as God's presence. Now, chapter 4, verse 3. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion 
and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Jesus Christ will judge the earth and Jerusalem. See Revelation 19, 11 to 21. The earth will change in its governments and leaders in the future. God has changed things. This is what Isaiah is saying. He talks about the future and he says, God has changed things. And this is how God's changed them. So we need to pay attention to this because the Lord is coming back soon. And when he comes back, things are going to change. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a moment. We've been doing several times in this program so you can understand what God is doing. Now back to the scripture. Isaiah 4 verse 5 says, Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion. Listen carefully. This is important. And above her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day and shining of flame, fire by night. For all over all the glory, there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and for the rain. Oh, this is amazing. In the near future, God will be covering a protection. He'll be the covering of protection and provision over Jerusalem. The future for the Christian is bright. If you're a Christian, praise God. Our future is bright. Keep in mind that our best life is not now. It's not. I don't care what the best books say. Our best life, the book of books written by the Holy Spirit says that our best life will come. We got to keep that in mind because things aren't right here always. Justice doesn't always prevail here. We work for it to prevail. We work for God to do his work. But there will come a time when God will rule. And when he rules for a thousand years, everything that is unjust will be made just. And everything that is wrong will be made right. Then at the end of the thousand year rule, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be amazing, I'll tell you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you know the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, if you don't know him, my question is, why not? He's as close as the mention of his name. Simply pray like this. Say, Jesus, I believe you came 2,000 years ago and we killed you on the cross. You rose again after three days. You paid the price of my sin and rose again to give me the gift of eternal life. And today I ask you to become Lord of my life. Take my sin away. Holy Spirit, come into my life. I need you now. I need you, Lord, right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed that prayer, praise God. Very, very important. Pray and keep God close. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. 
my purpose for living. All right, well, the prophet Isaiah doesn't just talk about the downfall of southern Judah, which he does prophesy, but he also focuses on the fall of northern Israel. And amazingly, northern Israel would fall during his lifetime and during the lifetime of King Ahaz and his son, King Hezekiah. So I want to take a look at this fall of Israel. It fell to the Assyrian Empire and much of Israel was exiled. So let's take a look at this exile of ancient Israel. The fate of northern Israel was to be captured by the Assyrian Empire. Assyria would exile many of Israel's inhabitants, but this was not a one-time event. The capture and exile of Israel took over a decade and three kings of Assyria to accomplish. Long before the first Assyrian capture of Samaria, Israel's capital city, the kings of Israel paid tribute to Assyria. That is, they lost their political independence. The Bible and the Assyrian records name Maniam as the first king of Israel that paid tribute, and a heavy tribute at that. The man who took the throne from Maniam's son was named Pekah, and he led Israel in a rebellion against Assyria. They stopped payment and allied with other anti-Assyrian nations. At that time, the nation of Judah was being ruled by wicked King Ahaz and spoken to by the prophet Isaiah. Ahaz would not join the anti-Assyrian coalition and instead called to Assyria for aid. Fearsome Tiglath-Pileser III, also called Pol in the Bible, began an invasion of Aram and northern Israel. Under Tiglath-Pileser, Assyria conquered Gilead and Galilee and deported most of the Israelis that lived there. This deportation is spoken of in the Bible, the records of Assyria, and is supported by archaeological findings in Galilee. There is a complete lack of material remains from this time period. Tiglath-Pileser's deportation was one way. The land was not resettled by him. The next wave of exile came with the destruction of Israel's city of Shechem, and most importantly, with the three-year siege and capture of Samaria, after its last king, Hosea, also stopped paying their yearly tribute. This attack was led by Assyrian King Shalmaneser V, who deported native Israelites, but this time he resettled Lower Galilee and the area of Samaria with conquered exiles from elsewhere in his new empire. Sargon II was the next king of Assyria, and though Israel as a nation had been destroyed, another anti-Assyrian coalition that included Samaria popped back up, causing Sargon to besiege and recapture Samaria in 720 BC. It's believed that as Sargon captured more territory, he would occasionally resettle the area of Samaria, causing upheaval that discouraged rebellion. The fate of the Israelite exiles was diverse. Depending on their previous lives, skill sets, and likely in many cases their luck, Israelites could find themselves well-treated, trained, and in the service of the wealthy, powerful, and even royal. There have been Israelite names found in records showing that some of them were assimilated into the Assyrian workforce as laborers, merchants, government or city officials, as Assyrian priests, or in military service, even reaching high ranks. But many exiles were not so lucky. They appear as slaves and forced laborers who were kept alive to be sure, but would not have had easy or pleasant living conditions. 
Now, when we're reading through the book of Isaiah, specifically the accounts where he's talking to Ahaz and Hezekiah, we cannot, um, you know, overestimate the the importance that the the Assyrian exile and the Assyrian invasion on northern Israel would have had at that time. It would have been an all-consuming problem. It was physical. It was economic. It was social. This was a massive problem. It was even a religious problem. So, uh, you know, that is the backdrop to Isaiah and specifically to the reigns of Ahaz and Hezekiah. They knew it was coming down the pipeline. Isaiah had prophesied it. Then they got to witness the fall and uh hezekiah was really left to pick up the pieces so more on that you know 722 bc is when Mm -hmm. it fell Mm -hmm. and uh that was a really interesting time because things shifted and changed and uh i'll tell you we don't have time to get into it now but there there was a lot of discussion among the tribe benjamin and judah to the south about what's going to happen anyway there's another story for another day ryan go ahead yes all right well today my segment centers around isaiah chapter 4 verse 2 and also isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 where the prophet refers to the coming messiah as a branch and as a matter of interest jeremiah and zechariah also use this interesting title and to modern western readers this might sound a little bit strange And that's due in part to our style of learning because it's very different from the Middle Eastern style of learning. And while the Bible is God-breathed, God still allowed the culture and personalities of the human authors to come through. And so the Bible teaches its readers primarily through the Middle Eastern method of learning. So in order for us Westerners to really grasp the meaning of these branch passages, we need to read them with Eastern eyes. So let's do that. On at least five different occasions, three different Old Testament prophets refer to the coming Redeemer as a branch. While this imagery holds much meaning for Jews and Middle Easterners, for modern Western readers, its full impact and significance is sometimes lost in translation. That's largely because Westerners, as cultural descendants of the Greeks, are used to the conceptual and analytical learning style developed by the philosophers whereas Easterners prefer to use real-world imagery to communicate truth. Also, while we in the West typically put more importance on individual identity, Eastern culture places more significance upon the family identity. In fact, in the Eastern mindset, what was enduring was not so much the individual, but the family, and people thoroughly invested themselves in the larger identity of their family. This family-centric view can be eloquently illustrated through the real-world imagery of a tree and its branches. The tree is like the family, and the branches on that tree are like the individuals within that family. Each branch, like a family member, will leaf out and bear fruit, but at some point it will wither and die. The tree, however, lives on. The family is what's important and long-lasting. If God blesses you, many shoots will come from you that will grow into enormous limbs that will bear fruit and mature and grow. This is precisely the image the prophets have in mind when they portray this coming messianic figure as a branch. For example, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 declares and decrees that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The imagery here is that the family is a tree, and the Messiah would be a branch on that tree a descendant of David's line. Additionally, David's father was Jesse, so the Messiah could also be called a shoot from Jesse's line. Part of the imagery of the shoot is that when trees are cut back, they send out long, straight shoots from the base. 
These are used to make king's scepters and tribal leaders' staffs. Although this royal messianic branch was cut off and died, death could not hold him, because he wasn't merely human. Indeed, this Messiah, the one and only Jesus Christ, was and is the Creator God Himself, and as such, He isn't just the branch, but as the source of life, He's also the root and the vine. In fact, His death and resurrection allowed us to become the branches. If we choose to live in Him, we become a part of His family tree. We become the very sons and daughters of God, and that tree, along with all of its fruit, twigs, and branches, will never wither and die. So hopefully you were able to see now why the Old Testament prophets often referred to the promised Redeemer as a branch. It's really powerful imagery, and this segment today lays the groundwork for my segment tomorrow, which shows that the name of the Messiah, Jesus, is hidden in the Old Testament. So I really hope that you come back tomorrow for that. You know, what's, uh, what's interesting to me is the trees are often used uh, in Psalms, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, does not stand in the seat or the, or does not sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way of sinners, but he is like a tree. It goes on. It says mm -hmm. he's like a tree. Then you have myrtle trees and you have oak or olive trees, and it, we have to keep in mind that this is the idea of the ancient culture. Yeah, it uses these trees. Now, by the way, interestingly enough, the olive tree tends to figuratively speak of Israel, the olive tree. And the myrtle trees tend to figuratively speak of the earth. So this comes really important later on in Isaiah's passage when he's talking about this. And we need to keep that in mind because also in Zechariah, it says the same thing. So that culture helps us to get it. Slowly but surely, we get it. You yeah, know? that's right. And that's important to remember. We could do so many studies on just trees and the imagery of trees alone, um, but uh, we don't have time today. You know what? What? <laughs> What really bothers me is when people just take a passage of Scripture and they say, well, that's that because of this. And you don't interpret the Bible like that. You interpret the Bible like, what's it saying mm -hmm. in that culture? How does it speak? Yeah. And then you need to take it that way. So let it change you instead of you bringing your ideas to the Bible. Yeah. And changing it. Well, yeah. And I remember the first time I read that title, The Branch, I thought, that's weird. What does that mean? And I had to go into the culture, to do cultural studies, basically. You did basically, the right thing. And, you know, and that's, that's what you got to do. <laughs> and that's exactly right. You did the right thing. So very good. Good stuff. Jim? I called it Jesus, Our Hope. I called this segment, and I'm talking about that same branch, mm. Ryan, the promised Redeemer. The first part of the book of Isaiah, really chapters 1 through 39, really emphasize sin, the call to repentance, and judgment. And the second part, chapters 40 through 66, emphasize the hope of restoration. I think it's a good reminder in today's world to keep our lives focused on God and His Word. The Lord Jesus is the one who brought us the hope of restoration. That means that we live for Him, to follow Him, not live in the ways that we think, but to read His Word and understand what is right and wrong in the eyes of God, and follow those. These things need to be written in our hearts. As we read it, we get it into our minds, but it goes into our hearts, and then we have to live it out. We have to live it out. I, I talk all the time, Rod, about, about um, 
using gardening books and recipe books. Corey, you know, I love books on gardening. I love books、mm-hmm. about baking, but oftentimes I'm looking through the pictures and I'm thinking about doing those things, digging out those gardens and planting those flowers or making that cake or that bread or that casserole, whatever it is. And the pictures look so good. And And I think about it, but I never set my hands to it. I never actually do it. So I, I'm not a baker then, and I'm not a gardener. I have the head knowledge, but I'm not applying it. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. We need to be reading it, yes. And you know, we, we have kids that we meet up with every Wednesday night, and, and the whole focus on this group is teaching them the Word of God, and they memorize it, and they get prizes, and they get so excited about learning about God. And then As they grow now through life, they're going to have those verses that will come back to them. As we live our lives, it's, it's so precious to have the word of God inside of us so that when we're confronted with something, all of a sudden a verse will come up and we're just reminded or encouraged. Or all of a sudden, that's the answer that we were looking for in that moment. So it's just so precious. We need to be in the Word of God. Jesus is our hope. God sent His Son, who came to willingly give His life. That's why He came. And while He was on earth, He had disciples, He taught people. We can read about it. We're going to be getting、um, into the New Testament. And you're going to hear all about that. If you are just new to the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, if you haven't even thought about God or Jesus Christ, stay tuned or find a local church that, that preaches the Word of God and find out who He is and get involved because it will change your life. It's not an easy road. It's not an easy road, but it's the best road to take. It is. And、uh, I, I would just say this that we, we do the Wednesday night. You mentioned Wednesday、mm-hmm. night. And I was watching one of our one of people I listened to、uh, recite the scripture, and he was so excited and all that. And I thought, that's amazing. You have no idea what you've memorized,、mm-hmm. but there'll come a time later in life when you'll get it. You'll say, ah,、oh, <laughs> I remember hearing about that.、Mm-hmm. Very important. BD Family and Friends. I know you're tired of me saying the same thing all the time, but I'm, I'm just excited about this channel. And、uh, I'll just say this one more day, and that is we do a program called Just the Facts 30 years ago, and we put that on there as well. So all our programs we do here at the studio and have done in the past are on, and they're on video on demand as well. So check out BD Family and Friends on the internet, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, or on the Roku channel, or on the Firestick television. Either way, BD Family and Friends, check it out. In the meantime, let's pray. Lord, help me to reset my thinking. To your way, not my way. I need to think like you think, not like I do. Help me to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.